Okay, let's say this together. I'm a doer of the word. I'm a doer of the word. I'm a doer of the word. Amen. Let's turn to, uh, let's see, where do we want to go first? Um, Philippians 4. We're going to uh, talk some more about living free from anxiety. This is part four of living free from anxiety. <clears throat> we can't just confess, I'm not going to worry. <laughs> I mean, that's good, but... <laughs> uh, Philippians 4... Uh, verse 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. So this is what we do. Uh, other translations say, be, be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything, depending on what translation you're reading <laughs> from. Don't be anxious about anything. We pray... We cast our care over on the Lord, and we praise God. And verse 7, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So that's what God does. That's his part. <coughs> verse 8, this is how we control what we think about the rest of the day. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, uh, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Everybody say, think on these things. So that's going to eliminate a lot of things that we can't think about. Amen? We're not supposed to dwell on and think about. Now, uh, turn over a few pages to 1 Peter 5. Verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now in that last sentence, you notice care and careth uh, is there twice. The first care uh, means anxious, an anxious care or an anxious thought. The, the word careth, there in the same sentence, that's a different word, that means to take care of something. So we cast our anxious care over on the Lord because He is caring for us. Two different words. Would you want to see your child all stressed out about something if it was in within your power to fix it and all they had to do was just get out of the way and let you have it? <laughs> you know, just let mommy and daddy take care of it, just leave it with us, you know? Well, uh, you know, that's what we're doing. We're demonstrating faith when we give it to the Lord. We give him access to get involved. Verse 9, 
whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. The devil will try to tell you that nobody else is going through what you're going through. Nobody else is having to deal with what you're dealing with. But this says here, our brethren all over the world, they're all believing for healing. They're all believing for finances. They're all believing for buildings and lands and whatever. But the devil will lie to you and try to make you feel like you're just an isolated person and nobody else uh, knows what you're going through. And that's just a lie. Now, last time in part three, we talked about uh, what Jesus taught about worry in Matthew 6. And he talked about recognizing things of eternal value versus things of, of just earthly value uh, that are temporal, uh, you know, and the importance, distinguishing the importance between something that's eternal and something that's just temporary and not letting the temporary things become a source of worry. Uh, he went on to say that we're created to live one day at a time and we're not to allow our thinking to get into a cycle of things in the future that haven't even happened. We looked at common effects of stress and anxiety on the body. We looked at the importance of rest spiritually, mentally, and physically. Rest is a place in the presence of God where you don't have to worry or fret about anything and you don't have to try to figure things out. <laughs> rest is the fruit of believing and trusting God. And I don't know if I mentioned this last time or not, but praying in tongues is a great way to relieve stress. It's a great stress reliever. Uh, we looked uh, previously at the scripture here in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, casting all your care upon him. And we talked about how this word casting is a violent word. It's not passive. Uh, we have to get aggressive about what we allow to come into our mind. <coughs> uh, and if it's not on this list, in Philippians 4, we need to recognize that and not allow it to come in. We need to refuse to dwell on it. Now, um, let's turn over to John 14. Where Jesus said in verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. And then in verse 27, he, re he repeats it again. He says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So we can choose, and Jesus has commanded us, not to let our heart be troubled. And there's nothing in the world that can give us this peace. Uh, only Jesus can give us his peace. And I believe Jesus has made this a commandment here because, uh, you know, he knew that we were not designed to handle worry and anxiety and that what goes in your heart and your mind affects your body. So we can refuse to be troubled and afraid. Now I know there's a lot of Christians that wouldn't agree with that, but 
We're talking about the words of Jesus here, and it would be unjust for Jesus to command us to do something if we weren't capable of doing it, if he hadn't enabled us to do it. When, when the word of God tells us to do something, there's enablement and power in that word to enable us to do it. So step one is making the decision not to let our hearts be troubled. And, and if you haven't already made that decision in all these sessions that, that we've been on this, I, I hope that you'll make that decision before we leave today because that's step number one. And if you've already made that decision, then praise God, that's real, that's real progress. That's a big step right there. Let's say this out loud. I don't have to let my heart be troubled. Amen. Now, um, let's turn over to Second Timothy. Chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. Now, I'm going to read it from the Amplified Classic. It says, But understand this, that in the last days will come, set in, perilous times of great stress and trouble, hard to deal with, and hard to bear. Now when Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled, don't you think he knew what life was going to be like in the last days? He, didn't you think he knew that, that there was going to be a time of great stress and trouble? Sure he did. That's probably why he said it, you know? That probably had a lot to do with it. He was, he was uh, equipping us and preparing us. And then Paul goes on in chapter 4 to give Timothy some instructions about how he's to deal with this. He says, preach the word in season and out of season instantly when it's convenient and when it's not convenient, when it's welcome and when it's not welcome. And then in verse 5, in the, uh, the Amplified Classic, um, he goes on to say what our response to this trouble and people that are hard to deal with and hard to bear should be. He says, but as for you, be clear-headed in every situation. Stay calm and cool and steady. So we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Don't you know it irritates the devil when he has hit you with his best shot and you are just cool and calm and collected and steady and praising God and trusting Him, don't you know that just irritates the devil? Because that is not the response he wants you to have. But we're to be cool, calm, and steady. Now, I should have had you hold your place there at Philippians uh, 4. But let's just go back there. I didn't hold my place either. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious or worried about anything. And most, I think it would be safe to say, most church-going people don't believe that you can keep from worrying. And Satan's 
objective is to try to keep us upset about something all the time. And about the time you get on top of one thing, something else comes up. He wants to keep you worried and upset and frustrated and vexed and mad and hurt. But the Lord has called us up to a higher way of living. He's made available a higher way of living for us. Uh, you know, so that when little things happen, we don't get upset. When big things happen, we don't get upset. And it's possible to live this way. You know, I... Uh, I don't want to go to heaven and see Jesus and, and I suddenly think, you know, oh man, I didn't have to go through all that, you know what I mean? Why, why did I let that bug me, you know? It really wasn't such a big deal, you know? And, and Jesus is going to say, yeah, I tried to tell you, you know? So, so I, I'm really getting serious about, uh, about the fact that, that Jesus has bought and paid for us to, to have this peace and to be able to live in this crazy, messed up world and be cool and steady and calm at the same time. And that's what we're looking at today uh, is, is uh, how Jesus has bought and paid for us to have his peace and this, this uh, level of living. So in verse uh, 7 and 8, he says, think on these things, and he gives us a list of what we can think about and stay in the peace of God. Verse 9, these, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So as we put these things into practice in our everyday lives, the peace of God is going to guard our heart and our mind, and this is how we're going to keep from being worried and anxious. We can control what we think about, and we're not to let just every thought that comes by stay there and entertain it. Now, let's turn over to 2 Timothy, a few pages. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. We're familiar with this scripture. 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, the words sound mind in the Greek mean safe thinking. Safe thinking. It includes good judgment disciplined thought patterns, and the ability to understand and make right decisions. It includes the qualities of self-control and self-discipline. That's a sound mind, safe thinking. So one of the first things we need to do is stop confessing that we can't help but worry. We need to, that would be a good step right there to just stop saying, I can't help but, but worry. We have a, a sound mind and we can control what we think about in the midst of this crazy world. Now your mind can't be on two different things at one time. It's gonna have to focus on one and give attention to one 
and, and ignore the other. And, and as long as you're focusing on one, you may think you can do this, you know, multitask or whatever, but those few seconds that you're concentrating on this, you're not concentrating on the other. And that's why you can't drive and text at the same time. You can't safely drive and text at the same time. That, those few seconds that you're on that phone, something, if something out here happens, you've had it, you know? So, so you have to give, uh, you have to decide which is the most important. And, and so in the case of driving, safe driving is more important uh, than texting. So that's what we need to, to focus on. So the, the point is, with safe thinking, a sound mind, we have the ability to control what we think about and what we put our mind on. Because our mind is our mind, and God's not going to control it, and the devil cannot control it. So, so we're not just this kind of entity that is just blah, you know, and, and, and we have no control over what we, we put our mind on. So let's uh, go to Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 5. <coughs> says, for they that are after the flesh, for those um, who live according to the flesh, I think I'm probably reading from the New King James Version here, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, or natural things. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. The Phillips translation says, the carnal attitude sees no further than natural things, but the spiritual attitude reaches out after the things of the spirit. Now, we're not going to turn there, but you can write down Colossians 3 verse 2 says almost the same thing. In the NIV, it says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now, for those who are unbelievers and they're not born again, they're only aware of natural things. They, they can't make this choice. They, they don't really, they don't have the enablement to make the choice about what they put their mind on. We have a choice. We're born again. Our spirits are alive to God. And and we can set our minds on natural things or, or we can set our mind on spiritual things and be more aware. This is really what it's talking about. It's an awareness, being more aware of spiritual things than being aware of natural things. And God, you know, we, we read scriptures before here in Romans about walking in the spirit. Uh, that doesn't mean walking around in a trance, you know. It just means uh, being more aware of spiritual things than natural things. Living in the spirit. Verse 6 here says, uh, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Thinking on things, 
these things in Philippians 4, uh, good, true, honest, lovely, good report, that's being spiritually minded, putting your mind on, on these things, that's being spiritually minded. Uh, we won't turn there, but you can write down Hebrews 12, verse 3. Hebrews 12, verse 3, uh, from the God's Word translation says, Think about Jesus, who endured opposition from sinners, so that you don't become tired and give up. So, as long as we keep our mind on the Lord... We're not going to get weary and tired and discouraged. It's when we begin to let our mind drift over on something other than the Lord and other than the Word and other than these things in Philippians 4, we tend to get weary and tired and discouraged. So it matters what you allow yourself to think about. Uh, words are actually thoughts that are spoken. That's really basically what words are. They're, they're thoughts that are spoken. And thoughts are not just nothing. They contain something. They, they, they have substance. Words contain uh, uh, thoughts. Words are thoughts that we speak out. And God's word contains God's thoughts. That's why it's so powerful. God's word contains God's thoughts. And they contain life and peace. I mean literally inside these words. Life and peace. Now turn to Jeremiah 29. This is a familiar scripture. Jeremiah 29. It's the one Rosemary's got on her bag there. <laughs> Jeremiah 29, 11 talks about God's thoughts. Jeremiah 29, 11, I'm going to read it from the Geneva Bible. It says, For I know the thoughts that I have, thoughts towards you, saith the Lord, even the thoughts of peace and not of trouble, to give you an end and your hope, thoughts of peace and not of trouble, the Wycliffe translation says, For I know the thoughts which I think about you, saith the Lord, the thoughts of peace and not of torment, so that I shall give you a good ending. Now, the devil has thoughts too. And he has thoughts of defeat and failure and death. And he will repeat these thoughts, his thoughts, He'll try to repeat them over and over in your mind and get you into this cycle uh, uh, of just repeating these thoughts and feelings against your mind. And this is a strategy described in the Greek word for devil. Devil. In the Greek, it's diablos. And it's made up of two words that means to throw and to penetrate. The devil in Greek to throw and to penetrate. And he will throw questions and suggestions to you over and over and over. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do about this? You heard what they said about you. Over and over and over, what, what are you going to do? And he'll try to get you into this 
a cycle of, of dwelling on these things which produces worry and anxiety. And Paul refers to this in Ephesians 4.27 when he says, neither give place to the devil, diablos. Neither give place to these things. So your mind is the place where the devil tries to penetrate with thoughts of failure and defeat. He's, he's throwing these suggestions and thoughts at your mind, trying to penetrate your mind to get you to dwell on these things and get you into this loop or this cycle of, of, of worry and anxiety. And these thoughts also have feelings and video attached to them. So we need to examine these thoughts. Where are they coming from? Well, you can recognize where they're coming from by what they do to you. If they pull you down, if, if they discourage you, we know where that's coming from. That's coming from the devil. But God's thoughts are life and peace and victory and prosperity. They build you up. They encourage you. So that's how you can distinguish God's thoughts from the devil's thoughts, where these are coming from. Thoughts of discouragement and confusion are from the enemy. So how do we combat this? Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 10. And it tells us, There's been a lot of talk about spiritual warfare. Some of it's a bit strange, but here in this scripture, uh, it describes how personal spiritual warfare works. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That's verse 4. But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. Now this word imaginations, a better word for that is reasonings. We understand what reasoning is. We don't really use the word imagination in this uh, sense. We don't really connect imagination with worry, but we do connect reasoning with worry and anxiety. And this word reasoning in the Greek is where we get the English word logic or logical thinking. So you can have logical thoughts and you can have illogical thoughts. And the logical thoughts are the most difficult ones to deal with because they make sense to you. You, you could see that happening, you know, or... Uh, you know, you think, well, that, that's logical. And these are, these are more difficult to deal with. And we talked about these kind of thoughts um, in the first session when we talked about one of the categories that causes anxiety is thoughts about tomorrow or the future, things that have never even happened. And these tend to be illogical thoughts, unrealistic things um, in the future that have never even happened. So if, if you begin to, to dwell on these thoughts and, and allow the devil to play this video in your mind, uh, you can relive bad experiences from the past or you can begin to live out something in the future 
uh, scenario that's never even happened, but it generates fear and worry on the inside of you. Verse 5 says, casting down imaginations or reasonings and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought, every thought that does not produce life and peace and victory and prosperity, everything that's not on that list in Philippians 4, we're to bring these thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. These thoughts will try to exalt themselves uh, above the Word of God in, in your mind. They will, they will try to exalt themselves above what God has said in His Word. You know, I know this is what God said, but... Did you hear what they said? I know this is what God said, but... And, and we have to cast these things down. If we dwell on these things, they're just going to generate worry and anxiety and fear. We've already talked about how this word cast is a violent action. You've got to grab hold of your mind as soon as you recognize that and say, no, I refuse that. I refuse to think about that. And don't allow it to stay there and become a stronghold. Now, we, we looked earlier at 2 Timothy 1.7, where we have been given a sound mind, safe thinking. And in order to maintain our sound mind, this is the process. This is the, the personal warfare that we have to exercise. We have to cast down these thoughts and imaginations that are contrary to the word, take them captive, don't allow them to penetrate our mind so that they can set up a stronghold there. Now, some people, you know, they say, well, I, I just can't help it, I'm human. Well, we're only part human. We're, we're spirit. We're not just natural people. We're spirit. We're spiritual people. We live, yes, we live in a physical body that's human, but on the inside, your born-again spirit is just like Jesus. Your born-again spirit contains all the forces that are in Jesus. That's part of the new birth, is, is that you get the same spirit. His peace is in there, too. And so, on the inside, you're wall-to-wall Holy Spirit. So, we're not just human. Now, those people out there, they're just human. And they don't have this enabling and this power to walk in the Spirit like we do and to, to bring these thoughts captive. This is what Romans 8 uh, was talking about when, it, when we read about living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, um, being spiritually minded, setting our minds on thoughts of life and peace. That, that's what it means to be spiritually minded. We can set our minds on thoughts of life and peace, and we don't have to just let any old thing come in there and stay. Now let's turn to James 1. James 1. Verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, 
and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. In other words, act like you've received it. Nothing wavering, act like you've received it. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind, and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. Verse 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Double-minded, duo, two minds, unstable, vacillating between two things, produces instability. Uh, not stable, not steady. The opposite of what we saw in 2 Timothy 4. When, we, when he talked about being cool, calm, and steady, this is the opposite. Not, not being steady, being unstable, vacillating between two things. Exercising a sound mind is self-control and self-discipline. Think on these things, God's thoughts, good, true, honest, good report, praiseworthy, not vacillating between these things and other things. Not vacillating between what the Lord said and what somebody else said. The Bible also says we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. So if Jesus could exercise self-control and self-discipline in his thought life, he's enabled us to do the same thing. But, but this is something we have to learn. We have to learn this because when we were born again, nothing happened to our mind. Absolutely nothing happened to our mind. What happened was inside, our spirit. This is what changed. This is what was recreated in the image of God. This is what was, was made new and like God. Up here, nothing happened. And that's why the Bible says we have to renew our mind. And we, we have to, to retrain it. Because it's been trained all of our life, like the world out there, to just go with the flow, logic, and, and this logical thinking and reasoning. That's the way we've been trained. And, and it's all in a negative direction. So we have to renew our mind with the word, and exercise self-discipline in this area. And this is not, you know, this is not like just some course you go to that's like a, a self-help course, you know what I mean? Uh, Do-it-yourself type self-help. This is not what we're talking about. This is, we, we have been empowered by God and, and His Spirit and His Word to live on a higher level uh, as a new creature in Christ Jesus. But, but we have to learn. We have to retrain ourselves to live this way. So we can't just pray that we'll never have trouble. You know, I mean, that's some people's approach. You know, just God, you know, don't ever let me have any trouble or don't let this happen or don't let that happen. I mean, Jesus has said, we already read in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I've already overcome it. And I've rendered it powerless uh, to harm you. That's what the Amplified Bible says. 
And he says, I'm giving you my peace. I'm giving you my peace. So even though there's trouble around us, we, we, can't, we can't always do uh, something about the trouble around us, but we don't have to let it get in us. And that's, that's the thing, not letting it get in us. So when the thoughts and feelings come, we have to recognize what they contain. And if they're not God's thoughts, we got to say, no, I refuse, I take you captive, and I cast you down. And then set your mind on God's thoughts. Lovely, honest, good report. If somebody said something about you uh, that's not honest or not true, if somebody's, you know, falsely accused you or something, just don't dwell on it because it's going to make you mad. You know what I mean? It, it's, and that's the devil's intent is to get you to dwell on that thing and in a while, oh, you know, I'll get even with them or whatever. That, that's what he, to keep you upset. That's what he's after. So if you have to cast these things down 50 times a day until you develop this discipline, then do it. And, and eventually your mind will just automatically, nope, not going there, you know. Amen. So thinking about the goodness of God and how powerful he is, you quit being worried and depressed and then you begin to get your joy back, and then you can begin to get your strength back, and, and you're, you're not weak anymore. Amen? What does the Bible say about the weak? Let the weak say, I am strong. Amen? The weak don't say, I'm weak. The weak say, I'm strong. So you have to do this on purpose. Let's say this out loud. I'm calm. I'm cool. I'm steady, I'm stable, no matter what, I have the mind of Christ, and I have the peace of Christ. Now, let's turn to Isaiah 53. Isaiah and other prophets prophesied events in the life of Jesus that happened centuries later. And this chapter, 53 of Isaiah, and also Psalm 22, are prophecies in great detail concerning the redemptive work of Jesus. Uh, Isaiah saw these things in the spirit. He saw Jesus take our place and he, he wrote them down with great accuracy about 700 years before it actually happened. He also reveals the purpose, not only the facts of what Jesus did, but the purpose of what Jesus did. Everything that was done to him before and including the cross. We, we tend to, you know, uh, we tend to just kind of lump redemption together and just say, well, Jesus took our sin on the cross. That's true, but there's a whole lot more <laughs> involved than he just took our sin on the cross. But we tend 
to just lump it all together. But let's look at verse 55, verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, uh, and acquainted with grief, and we hid, our, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Now the word sorrows here in the Hebrew is pains. And the word grief in Hebrew is sickness. So it actually says a man of, a, a man of pains and acquainted with sickness and he hid as it were our faces, we hid as it were our faces from him and was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne to take upon oneself our sicknesses and carried to carry as a burden our pains, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse 5, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. Now, I'm replacing some of these words in the King James with the Hebrew words. Uh, verse 5 says he was wounded for our transgressions. Uh, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was bruised or crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his blows that cut in, stripes, we are healed. So we're seeing specific punishments here, specific things they did to Jesus for specific reasons. Our redemption is threefold, spirit, soul, and body. We're not partially redeemed, we're not halfway redeemed, we're completely redeemed. There's not one area of your life that was left out. <clears throat> now, we want to move on to verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. One of the meanings of the word oppress is to cause distress or anxiety. He was oppressed, distressed, and anxious. In the Latin, it means to press against or pressure. Now, back to verse 5 in the NIV. I'm going to read it from the NIV. It says, it brings out some of the original language here in the Hebrew. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. Let's say that out loud. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. Isn't that what we're talking about? The peace of God. Jesus said, I give you my peace. Let not your heart be troubled. So when Jesus said in John 14, uh, I give you my peace, that's redemptive language. This is part of our redemption. I give you my peace. And when did he do it? Right here. Right here. Jesus has redeemed us, spirit, soul, and body. 
He took our sin to give us his righteousness. He took our sicknesses and diseases and pain that we be healed. He suffered shame to give us glory. He took our punishment, our cares, our worry and anxiety and gave us his peace. Those of you that have taken that first Bible study on redemption, we talked about some of these things, the great exchange, how Jesus was our substitute. And he, he, he took our sin to give us his righteousness and so forth. Let's say that again. The punishment that brought me peace was on him. So everything Jesus allowed them to do to him was paying for something for us. It was for a specific reason. Everything he suffered had a redemptive purpose. If you think about it, uh, why, why didn't, well, first of all, they only arrested him because he let them arrest him. They, they could not have taken him if he hadn't allowed them to do that. He allowed them to arrest him. Why didn't they just walk him to the cross, nail him on the cross, took our sins, finished? Why, why didn't they just walk him straight to the cross, nail him on there, and it's finished? Because everything before the cross is part of our redemption. Everything they did to him was paying for something for us. You, you can't skip that. And that's why the, the other two men that were crucified with him, they didn't do all this other to them. They just walked them up there and nailed them to the cross. They didn't do everything they did to Jesus. That was not what they did to everybody in that day that was crucified. There's a reason. The, the whipping, the mocking, the crown of thorns, hitting him, everything he suffered had a redemptive purpose, and it was to pay the price for something that we need. The whipping post. He took the blows that cut in so we could be healed and live in divine health. So if you're just going to execute somebody, you don't have to whip them, you don't have to mock them, you don't have to spit on them and beat them. All that's unnecessary. If you're just going to execute somebody, which is what they did to the, uh, the other two men crucified, they were just executed. They were just nailed up there. Uh, and that was it. They didn't, they didn't go through this other. Everything that happened to Jesus, this whipping, this mocking, this spitting, this beating, the crown of thorns, it's all part of the plan of God. So, in view of Isaiah 53, 5 here, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. Now, let's turn over to Matthew 27. And we'll look at a few of the specifics here. Matthew 27. This is the fulfillment of what Isaiah saw and wrote down with great accuracy 700 years before. Matthew 27. Verse 26. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, this is the whipping post, 
They tied him to a whipping post, and they whipped him with these leather thong things that had glass and bone attached to the end of it. Uh, when they scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. Verse 29. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it where? On his head. Now hold your place there and turn just a few pages over to Mark 4. Mark 4, verse 18. And these are they which are sown among thorns. Underline the word thorns and the cares of this world cares worry anxiety these are those sown among thorns thorns represent cares worry anxiety now back to Matthew 27 what did they put on his head thorns your cares, your worries, your anxiety was put on Jesus. Verse 29, it goes on to say they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. Some translations say a stick, some kind of a stick. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed or the stick and smote him where? On the head. So where did they put the thorns? On his head. Where did they hit him with the stick? On his head. So every time they hit those thorns on his head with that stick, it drove those thorns down into his scalp and blood flowed. Why was this necessary? Everything was to pay the price for something we need. It was for our peace. It was for our peace. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. Our peace was bought and paid for with a terrible price. And for me to act like that I can't have peace no matter what's going on and that I can't stop worrying and, and fretting and all this is a disrespect to what Jesus did to get it for me. So when Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled, Neither let it be afraid. He could, he could say, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I to you. This is, this is where he bought and paid for us to have it. This is where he gave it to us. And this peace, this is why you cannot get this in a bottle of pills. 
You cannot get it in a bottle of pills. This was a, a, a he bought and paid for this with a terrible price. All of our mental anguish, torment, anxiety, depression was put on him and he took it. And he not only, he not only took my worry and anxiety, he took it for the whole world. I mean, everybody's depression, everybody's mental torment and anguish pressed into him at one time. You, we, we can't even, you know, we, we think about we have an anxious thought. What about every anxious thought, every disease, every infection, every pain, every, for, for all the future, every person that would ever live on this planet put on him all at one time. He took the punishment so we could have his peace in our heart and in our mind no matter what is going on around us. Now let's look at verse 41. Uh, likewise, and also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver uh, him now. If he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. See, they thought, they thought God was punishing Jesus because he said he was the son of God. That's why over in Isaiah he said, we, we esteemed him stricken of God and afflicted. They thought God was doing this to Jesus because he had claimed to be God. And that had nothing to do with it. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour... There was darkness over all the land into the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, uh, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does Jesus sound like he's troubled here? Yes. He does. He sounds like he is troubled. He is anxious. He, he is, you know. But he told us, you don't be troubled. You don't be afraid. Why? Because he took it right here for us so that we wouldn't have to be. This, this is why he did it. He's troubled. He's pressed. He's being pressed. That's what we saw, the Latin word. It means pressed with our cares, our anxiety, our trouble, our depression. Why? The punishment that brought us peace was put on him right here. This is why he did it. Now, one more scripture and we're, we're, we're finishing. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 28. Most of us are familiar with this chapter. Cares, anxiety, vexation, torment is all part of the curse and disobeying God's law. Did Jesus take our place? 
Did he miss out something? Did he leave something out? No? Did he cover everything? Yep. Are you redeemed spirit, soul, and body? Yep. Does that include your mind? Yep. Amen. Deuteronomy 28, this is the blessings and the curses for, uh, for keeping God's law or for not keeping his law. And the first 14 verses talk about if, if, if they obeyed the Lord, there would be blessed coming in, blessed coming out, blessed in the city, their flocks and herds would be blessed and multiplied, their enemies would be defeated. But the last half of the chapter talks about the curses that would come on them if they rebelled against God and they didn't follow him. And it talks about lack and sickness and their enemies overtaking them. What else comes under the curse? Let's look at verse 65. I'm going to read it from the New King James. It says, And among those nations you will find no rest nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. Having no rest comes under the curse. You shall find no rest. No rest comes under the curse. But there the Lord will give you a trembling or anxious heart, failing eyes and anguish of soul. Does this describe being upset and worried? Yep. It's under the curse. It's under the curse. Verse 66. And your life shall hang in doubt before you, and you shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. In the morning you shall say, Oh, that it were evening. And at evening you shall say, Oh, that it were morning. Because of the fear which terrifies your heart and because of the sight which your eyes see. Does this describe phobias and mental anguish and anxiety? Yes. This is rampant, really. I mean, this is rampant. Phobias. Part of the curse of the law includes phobias, mental torment, soulish and emotional anguish. Now, what does Galatians 3.13 say? Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. When did he do it? Right there in Matthew 27, where we looked at. That's when he was made a curse for us. For cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Did he hang on the tree? Yes. He has taken all the curse of mental anguish, torment, phobias, fear. He took all of it on him for us so we could be free from it and we could have his peace. That's why he did it. The whipping, the mocking, the thorns, the beating, the cross, every, every pain, the cause of every pain and sickness, emotional and mental torment was put on him. Did Jesus experience hopelessness and desperation? That's what we saw there when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
That sounds like hopelessness, doesn't it? But he never got out of faith because the last thing he said was, Lord, unto you I commit my spirit. So he was in faith the whole time, but boy, was he pressed. He was pressed. Why did he let them whip him? Why did he let them press those thorns in his head and spit on him? For you and for me. So we never have to go 15 seconds tormented and worried and vexed and mad and hurt or not knowing if God loves us. He took it all for us so we could experience his peace. Let's say this out loud. Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law being made a curse for me. The punishment that brought me peace was on him. By the blows that cut in, I am healed. Amen. So in the mind of God, this happened before the foundation of the world, in God's mind. So regardless of what you've heard, you felt, or you've experienced, it's been bought and paid for and it's been given. And all we have to do is believe it and receive it, amen, and enjoy it. That's why he did it for us, amen. So we don't have to go through life, not even 15 seconds, worried, anxious, and fearful. So I'm getting serious about this. Amen? And if Jesus loved us enough to go through this so I could experience his peace, then I think I should be experiencing it. Amen? I think every believer, every believer, what if every believer really had a revelation about this? It, it would change your life, wouldn't it? It would change your life. So we can go day in and day out full of peace, joy, victory, rest, no matter what's happening, refusing to be depressed and upset. Amen? So you want to serve us, Greg? We're going to uh, receive communion now. I think this is a good time to do it. And we're going to receive what Jesus has bought and paid for us to have. Amen? So if you haven't already made this decision about I'm not going to let my heart be troubled, then uh, this is a good time to lay hold. Holy Donkey Majesty. I missed that. I missed that earlier.